0: issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. you got all these great answers
1: to all these great questions. You've got all these great answers to all these great questions.
0: Linda wonders, is it appropriate for a Christian to be cremated? David in California, he wants to know why animals die. Do they have sin, and if so, are they included In the atoning work of Jesus' death on the cross, just a few questions from our listeners, unanswered questions that we will endeavor to answer. For the rest of today's show, we're going to respond to your unanswered Bible questions. Joining us to do so is Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer. He's pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, and author of the book, Reading Isaiah with Luther. Brian, Welcome. Uh, great to be here, Todd. And Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolf Miller one and he's author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed? Brian, welcome to you. Thank you, Todd. You get an easy one to begin with here, Pastor Wolfmiller. Joe asks, I would like to know, what do you do with a repentant sex offender? and he wants to be able to come to the divine service on Sunday morning.
2: Well, let's maybe start theologically and then a couple practical notes on this. So first, the Vine service is always a public service of the Church. So if there's no restrictions on a person for being involved in other public things, we we certainly don't want to put restrictions on someone being involved in the public service, attending the Church service, especially as it is a public service. And we rejoice that those who are repentant, want to come and hear the word of god need to come and hear the word of god and to receive the body and blood of jesus part of repentance part of the fruit of repentance is recognizing that the sins that we've committed and in this case probably the crimes that we've committed come along with consequences so we would hope that this individual would be working with the elders and the pastor to make sure that They themselves are not causing an offense to the people who are gathered there. This has to be especially kept in mind if any victims are involved in the life of the congregation. Then it's probably best in that case to make arrangements to worship in another place, working with the pastor and the elders with some of those practical things. And so, again, the fruit of repentance is recognizing that the crimes we commit and the sins that we commit do have temporal consequences, and we want to be willing And not only to do what we can to make amends for those, but to make sure that we don't further harm people because of our own sinfulness. So working together, again, with the pastor and elders, depending on how public things are as well, to make sure that there's no offense caused.
0: Just to follow up there, how do you deal with the issue of privacy here? Because I can imagine a pastor working with the elders, and this is not public knowledge, they know about it there's a potential for vast misunderstanding if it does become public at some point in the future what are your thoughts there
2: well hopefully you're working together with the person to work through those constraints most of the time if someone is convicted as a sex offender that does become public knowledge and they are put on a on a public registry so there is a sense of that crime in particular Is made public for the protection of people who are involved and that changes the contours of things if it's if it's publicly acknowledged and publicly known there's a difference between the pastor holding under the seal those sins confessed to him versus the church covering over crimes so we want to be very careful that everybody's safety is considered And that ought to be really, again, the key word here in the question is repentant sex offender. That ought to be also forefront in their own mind so that they recognize that, again, because of their sin and crime, they have made themselves previously dangerous to be around. And so they're going to be making every provision to make sure that they don't harm anyone else. The repentant sex offender, their main concern in their sanctification and life as a Christian is to be sure that they do not cause any further harm with anyone. And so they'll be hopefully gladly working together with pastor and congregation to make sure that that concern that they have is everybody's concern so that no one is hurt or sinned against in such a terrible way while all together rejoicing in the forgiveness that Jesus gives in, in his public services.
0: Pastor Ketelmeyer, Michael says, Hi, my question relates to the Old Testament prophets. Prophets like Ezekiel and Zechariah, prophesied mostly in prose, while others like Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied mostly in poetry. Is there any significance to a prophet using prose or poetry? Are certain types of prophecies usually poetry, that is prophecies about the Messiah, while others are prose? Thanks for your insight. God's blessing.
3: Yeah, this is a, a, an interesting question, Michael. I think that we don't want to set up a false dichotomy, kind of a one or the other, that either it's prose or it is poetry, that you would have prophecies of the Messiah. I think that what we really want to look at here is the scripture speaking as the scripture does, not trying to take a literary devices and trying to interpret the scripture from the outside with ways that we would interpret other books, but take the scripture itself as is. For example, when we look at the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we look at the historical setting of Jesus preaching. And so when we're talking about the prose, I mean, really what we're looking at is the historical setting of the preaching. Now, when you give examples of, for instance, Ezekiel and Zechariah, These are books that have predominantly the visions themselves. And so it's kind of a book of visions. And so almost look at it this way. It's kind of like a book of sermons. So it's kind of the book of sermons because what the prophets are doing is they are proclaiming what God has shown them about the Messiah. They are seers. They are seers because they see the vision. And so, uh, of course, in Ezekiel, it opens up by saying, in the 13th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles. And so here you have a historical setting of when this was taking place. But when you you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel is constantly going through this, and the word of Yahweh came to me saying, I mean, so this is the common refrain there with Ezekiel. And with Zechariah, it's the same thing, that the common refrain with him is, and I lifted up my eyes, and I saw, and behold. But even Zechariah is opening up with that historical setting in chapter 1, in the eighth month in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to me. And so with Ezekiel and Zechariah, it's almost more like it's the book of sermons. It's the visions themselves. It's the recorded vision. And when you're looking at prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, there is much more of a historical narrative that's taking place, because it's more of Isaiah preaching those sermons in that historical context, or it's Jeremiah preaching those sermons in that historical context. I mean, when you look at Isaiah, it opens up by saying, the vision of Isaiah. At which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. I mean, so this is the vision that he saw. So just like Ezekiel and Zechariah, they're seeing the vision. They are seeing what God gives them to see, which is always going to see the the personal work of Christ. The fulfillment of this promise, the seed, is going to crush the serpent's head. And when Isaiah opens up with this vision, chapter 1, Isaiah is preaching right away. So he preaches and says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Why? Because Yahweh has spoken. And so this is how he starts off. And then he goes on in chapter 1 and says, hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of Allah. God, you people of Gomorrah. And so with Isaiah, you have that historical context where he's actually preaching this. I mean, later on, you get to chapter 7 and in the historical context of King Ahaz, who is a shaken like a leaf because he hears of the king of northern Israel and the king of Syria are coming to throw him off the throne, and he's very concerned in his conscience. And so you have Isaiah going and giving him that word, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be a Emmanuel. That's God with us. Or you have Isaiah in that historical context with Hezekiah, when the gates of Jerusalem are under siege by the Rabshakeh, that he's going and he is giving this word to him directly to give comfort to the conscience. Or when Jeremiah opens up in his book, it's again the word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah. I mean, it's in this historical setting of Jeremiah proclaiming to the kings in Jerusalem about this falling apart of the Kingdom of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. But it's Jeremiah preaching and saying, Hear the word of Yahweh, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel, thus says Yahweh. But it's the words of Jeremiah that he was given, whom the Lord came and spoke to him. I mean, that's how chapter one opens up with that same thing. So I don't think we want to set up a false dichotomy of prose versus. Poetry for how you get a promise or prophecy of Jesus, but instead look at these as these preaching prophets. When the ones like uh, Ezekiel or Zechariah, it's almost again like a book of sermons, whereas with Jeremiah and Isaiah, we kind of have the context
0: of those sermons being preached. Linda has this question for you, Pastor Wolf Miller. I've been told that scripture is largely silent on the issue of the souls of the stillborn, aborted, and miscarried babies. Do you have an opinion on this subject? Will they have a place in heaven, and will we know them there? Thank you. Yeah,
2: th- this is—I think Linda's right to start with the silence of Scripture because there, there is very little that the Bible says specifically about the topic. We know Psalm 139, that famous psalm that talks about how the Lord knit us together in the womb so that every child, every person is crafted by God— Out of the stuff of their parents in the womb an individual creation of God body and soul God be praised so we know that the Lord knows us in fact Jeremiah chapter 1 reassures us when the Lord is telling the prophet I knew you before you were born we see an example probably the closest example we want to be careful that we make too much of it but there's a lot to rejoice in in the visit between Mary and Elizabeth and especially Jesus and John when they were both in the womb And John leapt for joy so that the babies in the womb can have faith and joy. And we know that faith always comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is always a miracle if worked before or after birth by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so we rejoice in those texts and also in the character of God who is kind and who desires none to come to perdition but all to be saved. And so trusting in the Lord and His mercy, we are not
0: without hope but that's i think as much as we can say from the scriptures and it's always dangerous to go further pastor brian Wolfmiller miller and pastor brian ketchelmeyer are responding to your unanswered bible questions james has a question about well will there be animals in heaven or no
1: This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with woes to Pharisees and lawyers, the leaven of the Pharisees, no fear, the rich fool, and do not be anxious. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
4: Grace, faith scripture and christ alone you're listening to issues etc
5: is your child struggling at school are you thinking about homeschooling would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it the simply classical curriculum from memoria press provides an enriching step-by-step classical christian education for students who have autism learning or behavioral difficulties adhd and more You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR 23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com.
1: Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.
0: 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference is filling up quickly. Attendance is limited. Making the Case is an opportunity for you to meet and hear Kyle Mann of Babylon B, Lutheran Church Missouri Senate President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, and Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. The early bird registration fee of $140 ends on March 15th and includes three meals. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or give us a call, 618-223-8385. We're responding to your unanswered Bible questions with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, James has this question, Isaiah talks somewhat about life in the new heavens and new earth. Isaiah 11 talks about how the lion will rest with calves and eat straw like an ox. In Isaiah 35, however, it declares that no lion shall be there, so lions or no in the resurrection, are we dealing with metaphorical lions?
3: This is a great question, would you use the imagery of animals? I mean, so this is wonderful. So throughout Scripture, God, of course, is the creator, and he loves his creation, okay? And so you have the prophets using the imagery of his creation to teach us about what God has done, created everything, what God is doing in redeeming all things, and then what we are looking forward to in the future, the new creation where there no longer is any sin, and there's no longer any death. And what we want to see is that passage in Isaiah chapter 11, given us a vision. So again, we were just talking about vision language, and this is prophecy language, of course, because it's seeing what God wants us to see to set our eyes upon the person and work of Christ. So Christ is the one who created us. Christ is the one who redeems us. He is the one who's making all things new in his accomplishment. So in Isaiah chapter 11, you have the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young and goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, okay? Now, that imagery is something that you cannot see here in this fallen world. I mean, in this fallen world, you have sin and you have death. And so you don't have these animals sitting in peace together. They're eating each other. I mean, you have the predator and the prey. I mean, this is what's taking place here. And so you have this understanding in chapter 11. It goes on to say, they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. Okay, there's going to be no death. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. So using the imagery of creation, how we see it right now, where it's falling apart, fallen creation, and there is, pain and sorrow and sickness, and there is death. But looking toward the new creation, there will be no death. And so this is a new creation passage where you're talking about the lion. Likewise, Isaiah will come back to this in chapter 65 when again he's giving us the picture of the new creation. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. You're not eating meat. You don't have meat eaters. There's no death. But instead they're eating the grass, the grass of the ground. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. I mean, you're eating a straw. And then notice this picture too. And dust shall be the serpent's food and so here you have that picture of the serpent is the one who's crafty, who deceived Eve he's the one who brought in sin, separating us from God, and brought death into creation, but it's the serpent who is cursed, it's the serpents who will be crushed, his head will be crushed by the seed, so again you have that, and he's going to eat the dust of the ground, I mean like that song, another one bites the dust and so here's the serpent, he bites the dust he goes back to the ground, because it's from dust we came, and to dust we return. This is the whole forming of Adam from the Adamah, the ground, and then we die and we return to the ground. But then, of course, in the resurrection of the body, we will return once again from the tomb. So that's looking forward to the new creation. Now, the contrast is these other passages in Isaiah where a line is used, like in Isaiah chapter 31. And Passages like Isaiah 31, the lion is used in this vision imagery of redemption, of what God is doing right now. Thus says Yahweh, he said to me, as a lion or young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunting at their noise. So Yahweh of Hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. So this is God redeeming. This is God delivering. This is God saving and he's saving from the threat of the lion. So you see that lion is growling at the prey, but Yahweh is the one who is going to defeat the lion. So it's a different imagery, a different use of what the lion does now in this life, where the lion, because of this whole fall into sin and the disordering of creation, a lion now dares to attack a man. A lion now eats meat and kills and he brings death. And so that's what we have now, but the picture is redemption, that God's the one who delivers us. Or in Isaiah 35, again, you have that picture of the lion, and you have the picture of the highway. There shall be a way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Of course, Jesus is the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and uh, sighing shall flee away. So this is the picture of what God is doing, taking us on the way right now the way of holiness being in christ in christ there is no condemnation we are a new creation we have been redeemed but we're looking toward the future of that final resurrection of the body on the last day and the new creation of all things being made manifest. But right now we have the redemption, so the lions will not be there to devour us. The devil himself, of course, is that image in First Peter chapter 5, that he's a, a lion who is on the prowl. He is trying to devour us, but we are to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of the Lord and cast our anxieties on him because he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who defeats the devil. He's the one who defends us from him.
0: David has a question here, Pastor Wolf Miller. In recent Bible class, our pastor began reading text from the Holy Bible, an American translation by Dr. William F. Beck. A little background on this translation. Would you recommend its use by the laity?
2: Sure, I think I recommend it. I've got a copy here. I was poking around before. These are given as gifts to every seminarian. Dr. Beck was a Lutheran pastor, professor, and theologian, and he thought that the Church needed a translation of the Scripture that had a Lutheran bent. Especially he was interested in capturing the Old Testament promises of the Messiah— So one of the very important works that he did was to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament in a very biblical way, a very Lutheran way. It reads more like a paraphrase. In my mind, it reads pretty loose. It feels like the NIV or maybe even more of a paraphrase in the NIV because Dr. Beck is trying to make the scriptures sound very familiar. And in my ear, it seems too familiar. It misses some of the technical language that we want to be able to have access to, language like justification and redemption and sanctification. Some of the technical terms, he'll kind of press away into more common language, so it's harder to get the word that's there. But I think it's a fine translation. I know there's maybe a couple of congregations that use it, and it's great. And what a gift that we have multiple translations to be able to compare.
3: There's a little bit of an ambiguity for me coming late into the LCMS, but maybe you can shed some light. But my understanding is back in 1963, CPH actually published the New Testament in the language of today, which was just the translation from the Greek that Dr. Beck had done as a professor at the St. Louis Seminary. And then he got some criticism on that because he wasn't using the text as receptus, that received text of Greek that uh, the King James in 1611 was using. And so he's kind of critiqued on that because he was using some newer manuscripts. And then even in 1975 at the Synodical Convention, the CTCR, indicated that there were several inadequate passages, but then he revised them. So even though that New Testament translation was published by CPH, when he finally did the Old Testament with helps from Old Testament scholars, some biblical scholars of Hebrew, it was never translated by CPH, but eventually it was translated by, the American translation was translated in New Haven where you have Herman Otten. And so that was the whole gift of the seminary. In mine, I have a signed copy with Herman Otten's name in the front because he was giving out to seminarians. But I mean,
0: maybe you could shed some historical light on that, Todd. I don't know much about the history of it. My one concern about it other than that, it being closer to a paraphrase, maybe a close paraphrase, than a strict translation. And my other concern is, even if we grant that it's a strict translation, it's a strict translation by just one man. And that tends to, it would be in my case, that tends to, even though he was a biblical scholar, no doubt about it, it relies on one man's judgment and also perhaps some idiosyncrasies. That would be my concern there.
3: That's a good point, but I think that he should get credit as a Lutheran pastor who translates a Lutheran version into the English language. So in a way, he's trying to emulate Luther, right? Translate the German into
0: German? Pastor Brian Katchelmeyer is our guest, along with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller. We're responding to your unanswered Bible questions. Linda has a question about cremation next.
1: Then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. The Bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the Golden, Wake Awake for Night is Flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org.
0: Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations.
4: Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook facebook.com slash lutheracademy
2: God's peace be with you from the beautiful upper peninsula of Michigan. Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Kingsford, Michigan invites you to include us in your travels to the Northwoods. As you enjoy the beauty of God's creation, we're here to deliver to you the unsurpassed beauty of God's gifts of word and sacrament where Jesus Christ is found for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. To learn more about us, Search us on Facebook or visit ourredeemerkingsford.org.
4: Sanctifying
0: your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. Congregational Sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Normal, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Rogue River, Oregon. Gloria Day Lutheran, Escondido, California. Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer, Peekskill, New York. Lord of Life Lutheran, Chesterfield, Missouri, Redeemer Lutheran, Gresham, Oregon, St. John Lutheran, Fredonia, Wisconsin, St. Paul Lutheran, Hancock, Maryland, Trinity Lutheran, Millstadt, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran, Owego, New York. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org Click support, donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller and Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer are responding to your unanswered Bible questions on this Friday, February the 3rd. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Wolf Miller, Linda has a question. Is it appropriate to be cremated or more traditionally to be buried? I know that we'll have new bodies in Christ in heaven, but I struggle w- on the, with this question. I struggle with this question, this body gifted to me by God being willfully destroyed
2: great linda for the question and if i could just offer a a slight correction but i think it's an important correction that the new body that we'll have in the resurrection is this body made new so there is a continuity between the body that we have now and the body that we will have in the new heaven and the new earth just as the grave of jesus was empty so our own graves will be empty so the resurrection of the body is the resurrection of this body the ears that you're listening to us talk with will be the ears that you have in the resurrection and the fingers that you type the email with will be the fingers that you have in the resurrection but made new completely free from all the effects of sin and the fall so the lord will bring our bodies through whatever happens to them into the new heaven and the new earth and th- the key verse for this is philippians 3:21, which talks about the power That Jesus has that he holds all things together that's the power that he will use to reconstitute our resurrected bodies so if our bodies are buried or they're burned or they're eaten by sharks or whatever the Lord will by the power with which he holds all things together he will give us the resurrected new body so that nothing can prevent the resurrection burning burying whatever cannot stop the resurrection Jesus will accomplish it and this also by the way not just for the Christians but for all people So God will raise all the dead and give to me and all believers in Christ eternal life. For the unbeliever, it's the resurrection to death, the resurrection to condemnation, what we call hell, eternal separation and torment for those who didn't trust in the name of Jesus. Now, because nothing can prevent the resurrection, that's not our concern. What we do with the body after death is not to either help the resurrection or to prevent the resurrection. But I think the right way for us to think about it is how can we best confess the resurrection? It's why all the Christians and also people who are Jewish or, or Muslim who also believe in the resurrection have the long-standing practice of burial because burial is the best way, as far as we have, the best way to confess the resurrection. We lay the dead down to sleep waiting for them to be woken up. The pagans who didn't believe in the resurrection would burn the body like they burned trash. So we do not want to treat the body, even after death, as trash, as something that's used up, as something that, that won't endure. And this is why, traditionally in the history of the church, if cremation wasn't outrightly forbidden, which oftentimes it was, it, it was certainly not the preferred way to treat the body. So we say, well, look, if being buried was good enough for Jesus— and for Abraham and David and Moses and all the prophets and apostles, then that's good enough for us. So if we can have a a burial, God be praised. That's great. But even if for whatever reason cremation is chosen or cremation happens, we don't despair but rejoice that that body that's burned will be built back by the power of Jesus.
0: This is a question from Anonymous. For you, Pastor Ketchmeyer, are the gates of hell locked? (laughs)
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, are the gates of hell locked? Now, now, this is an a, a interesting question. I, I'm not sure what's behind the question, but when we look at the Scripture, the, the language of gates, I mean, think of gates and think of the image of a city, okay? So we have, of course, Jesus talking about the gates of hell shall not prevail, okay? That Jesus comes to unlock heaven. I mean, so that's the whole idea and the key here. And you have a city that's at war, you close the the gates when you're at war, but the idea of gates being closed, think of the imagery of Jonah. You know, Jonah is thrown into the depths of the sea, and he goes down, 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 and the waters cover over me, he says. The deep surrounds me, he says. The weeds are wrapped around my head, he says. And he goes down to the base of the mountains, the roots of the mountains. And when he goes down, the bars which would be like the gates, were closing before my eyes forever. However, God brought him out of the pit, that he was fainting away, but he remembered Yahweh, and his prayer came to the holy temple, uh, the place of God's promised presence. I mean, so you have that image of the bars kind of being shut upon you when you die. I mean, that's the idea. It's being closed. It's being locked up. But when we have the imagery of a key, That Jesus is the one who has the key. You get this in Isaiah, and of course that imagery is echoed in the book of Revelation, which is that that whole sermon on the ascension of Jesus. So when I saw him, I fell at his feet. This is what John says, as though I were dead, he says, and he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first, the last, I am the living one. I died, and I behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay, so that's where you have the imagery of the keys of death and Hades. And so in Revelation chapter 3, we get this understanding that this is the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So Jesus is the one who has the key. He's the one who unlocks heaven for you and me. But of course, as repentant believers, heaven is opened by Jesus, And this is when we talk about the office of the keys, that when you have the unrepentant sinner who refuses and rejects the Word of God, resists the work of the Holy Spirit, then heaven is locked to him. So you have the image of heaven being open or closed with Jesus, but the same thing with hell, if you will, that Jesus is going to be the one who is going to lock hell from us so that we don't enter into it. You even have the image of the key and the locking in Revelation chapter 20, where you have the whole picture of the angel coming down from heaven and holding his hand, the key to the bottomless pit with the great chain, and he sees the dragon who is, of course, the old serpent, the ancient one, the devil, Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, and he shut it and sealed it over him. I mean, so you have this image of it being locked up. That's kind of that image there, but it's for a season. And so that picture of being locked up is he's being bound, that he is not having that free course that he used to have over all the Gentiles, all the nations that did not have the gospel message, because the gospel message goes out to the ends of the earth. And it's that gospel message which locks and unlocks. It's the message of Jesus, because Jesus is the one with the key, the key of David, and what Jesus opens is open, and what Jesus shuts is shut, and he's the one who has the keys of death and Hades. And so I think that is the key. The key is Jesus here, not whether or not what it's locked, but what's opened or locked for us because of Jesus.
0: I'm Todd Wilkin. Your link to issues, etc. Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, author of Reading Isaiah with Luther, and Pastor Brian Wolf Miller, author of Has American Christianity Failed, are responding to your unanswered Bible questions. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, is accepting new student applications for the 2023-24 school year. Interested families are encouraged to begin the application process as soon as possible to ensure desired class placement. Reduce fees for early enrollment end on March 31st. Faith Lutheran School Plano, Texas provides classical Lutheran education for students pre-K through 12th grade. Find out more at flsplano.org, flsplano.org. On the other side, we'll talk about why animals die. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of
4: Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org slash worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org slash worship. May the Word of Christ dwell richly in you.
2: Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023 24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal J. Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E,
3: at M-E-L-H-S dot org jcrowsey at melhs.org.
5: For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at siestakeyrentalgenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.
4: Expert Guests. Expansive Topics. Extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and
2: in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who
3: was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins.
4: To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. This
0: Back to Issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're responding to your unanswered Bible questions with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Pastor Wolfmiller, David in California, says, While working today, I uncovered a dead bird that had found its final resting place tucked into a ladder stored on the floor of the garage. This made me pose a question in my mind. If the wages of sin are death and death is the unnatural result of the fall, what sins did this bird? have to get trapped in the garage and die? Why would any animals die? So, more simply put, do animals have sin and if so, are they included in the atoning work of Jesus' death on the cross? Well, thank you, David, for the question. The key text here is Romans chapter 8, especially verses 19
2: to 23, and I would hone in on verse 20, where Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope so the birds didn't sin the animals didn't sin the trees didn't sin the moon and the stars and the Sun didn't sin and yet in the sin of Adam the Lord extended the extent of Adam and Eve's sin to cover all of creation the Lord as it says here in the text subjected creation to futility and I think the reason why is because the Lord had given dominion to Adam and Eve and it would have been at least very strange for mortal Adam and Eve to have dominion over immortal birds and trees and beasts and creation so that when Adam and Eve fell the Lord now puts everything that he had put under their dominion also under the curse but he did so in hope He says it not subjected in hope because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God so even for creation which did not willfully enter into sin like the birds and the animals and the, the trees and all the cosmos this also will be renewed so we don't say that birds have moral character that the animals are moral agents and therefore guilty of sin They can commit crimes, they can do damage, they can hurt things, uh, and when they do, they're not subjected to, like, criminal trials or anything, they're just, they're locked up or put down or or whatever, because we don't consider animals to be moral agents and therefore sinners, but we see and and lament, and yet we lament with hope that all of creation is subjected to the bondage that Adam and Eve willfully entered into,
3: they're subjected unwillfully. If i could draw our attention to psalm 84 i mean here's where we're talking very specifically about this kind of a topic where we we confess and say even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young and where is it at your altars o yahweh of hosts, my king and my god at the altar so that in this fall into creation, we have this now reordering of things, and we still have animals that are of service to humanity. Animals give their life for men. I mean, so when Adam and Eve fall into sin, you have the animal skins right away that cover the sin of Adam and Eve. So the animal had to die in the stead because the wage of sin is death. Later on after the ark, the flood, the universal flood with Noah, then you can eat meat. Now you can eat animals. So I mean, even the animal itself when it dies is giving life to sustain the body, but ultimately you know the ordering of things that they die instead of God's people. And so they are in this ordering animals are given up as a picture of what Christ does as a substitutionary atonement. That Christ comes to die for our sin, and that imagery is he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, because we see this in the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament, so that even the sparrow knows the place. The place is upon the altar of God.
0: Sarah, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, thank you for answering all these questions with such pastoral care. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about women head-covering and how the Eucharist is instituted, and learning about how to read Scripture, I've always been taught that context is vital. Secondly, that if a passage mentions creation, that is for all time and all peoples. It appears to me that before the 1960s, women viewed this passage in 1 Corinthians 11 as telling us that we should cover our heads in worship, at the very least. Pictures of Katie Luther show her with a head covering. As far as I can tell, throughout Christian history, this was considered right and proper, and an appropriate reading of 1 Corinthians 11. So my question is, why the change? Why have Christian women generally stopped wearing a head covering in worship at the least? It's quite clear that the passage is not talking about women having long hair as a head covering, and if there are an awful lot of modern hairstyles that won't quite fit the long hair mentioned, what is the biblical thing for women to do? Is that the same as what Christian women of history have done? Thanks again for answering this puzzling question.
3: Well, Sarah, I, I think that this is one of those unique passages in the historical context. Again, we're talking about salvation history, where God comes to his own people in time. Christ is born at the right time. And that was definitely the practice of humanity, uh, wearing the head coverings for women. I mean, this was just, it was both in the pagan world and it was in the Jewish world. I mean, it's just Gentiles were doing it and Israel was doing it. So that, that's just a statement of fact. I mean, that's just how it was. You look at the Reformation picture. Like you said, the paintings with Katie Luther and other paintings of Lutherans at that time, they were definitely the women who had head coverings. But also understand that at that time of the Reformation, up until the 1800s, early 1900s, in the Lutheran church, women and men were separated. So you'll also see in those uh, portraits and those pictures of the Lutheran service is the women in a separate section of the men a separate location and that of course was jewish practice i mean in the synagogue but i I think what we have here in our culture and in our circumstances here in america like you rightfully identified is that sexual revolution that whole movement of feminism the 1960s and i blame everything on the 1960s i mean we are where we are now in america because of the 1960s but in our american context also understand the broader context that in 1917 it was the roman catholic church that made canon law saying that women had to wear head coverings so that became canon law in 1917 it was a requirement now in the lutheran church we've never made such royal decrees we don't have this concept that you must worship in this way so in the lutheran church we have the freedom of the conscience if the individual chooses out of piety a pious desire to do this in that way That is fine and good and salutary. But as soon as the individual uh, falls into the error of what we call pietism, that's when you force everybody to do your self-chosen piety, this is when it becomes disastrous and this is when it becomes problematic because now you are calling sin what God himself has not called sin. And so when the Roman Catholics make a canon law, we don't do that. We don't make canon law. We leave it to the individual. And yes, it is true that 1917 up to the 1960s in Lutheran church, churches, you would have seen women wearing head coverings. After 1960s, that was a symbol of trying to break the shackles of male headship and having a man over you and having a head covering over you. So yes, we have that cultural problem here. But note that in Roman Catholicism, it was in 1983 where they changed canon law. And so that's why even in the Roman Catholic Church this day, you do not see many women wearing head coverings. But you do have some individuals in Roman Catholicism, old Catholics who are trying to go back to the Tridentine Mass, trying to go back to the Latin Mass, where they are starting to embrace that idea. And you do see that here and there in some Lutheran churches too. Individual women choose to do that out of their own free will, the way that they choose to be pious before God, which is fine, and we have the freedom in practice
0: to do that. A question for you, Pastor Wolf Miller from Mark in Tennessee. He says, in John chapter 3, Jesus says in verse 11, Most certainly I tell you, we speak that which we know and testify of that which we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. Is his use of the plural a reference to the Trinity? Then, Jesus says in verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended out of heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Jesus is in the flesh speaking to Nicodemus, yet he says the Son of Man is at that moment in heaven. How are we to understand this? Mark, God be praised for your careful reading
2: of the scripture. This is wonderful. I think the plural in verse 11 there in John 3 is probably Jesus echoing back the words of Nicodemus. So when Nicodemus knocks on the door, even though he's by himself, he says, we know that no one can do these signs apart from God, this idea that... Nicodemus is part of a school, part of a a crowd who has a certain confession, so that Jesus echoes that and says, we speak of what we know, we testify what we have seen. The school of Jesus is probably not Jesus and his disciples, but rather Jesus and his foreordained witness. So I think the best understanding of the plurality there would be that Jesus is talking about his testimony and John's testimony, and that fixed with the context of John 1 and 2, where John is that premier witness who comes to witness of these things. It's at the end of the gospel that the disciples are also witnesses and so forth. So that would be my best guess on that text. I think if you wanted to say the we there would be like the beginning, Genesis 1, let us create man in our own image. That doesn't conflict with the analogy of faith, but I'm not sure that's the best interpretation in the context. But then this point that you make that the Son of Man who is in heaven— Jesus is speaking of himself in heaven while he's right there in Jerusalem with Nicodemus standing in the room there. This is a beautiful detail that John gives to us because Jesus is, even when he walks on earth, he is in the bosom of the Father. That's how it says it in John 1.18. Jesus is always before the Lord. And we're remembering that heaven is spoken of in three different ways in the Bible. I think the easiest way to think of it is the bird heaven and the star heaven and the throne of God heaven. And Jesus is in that throne of God heaven all the time. He is before the Father in glory. It's the ubiquity or the omnipresence of Jesus, especially according to his divine nature, which in the ascension he enters into also with his human nature so that Jesus, God and man, fills all things. Ephesians 4, verse 10 so that Jesus is, even though he's in a very specific place, he's also before God in heaven. And that's another testimony of his divine nature. So great paying attention to details, Mark. That's a great question.
3: When Luther's preaching on John's Gospels, he doesn't even reference this. So he doesn't even talk about the we. But Linsky, in his commentary, Linsky will say that the we refers to Jesus and John the Baptist however Cyril of Alexandria when he's emphasizing that you have not received our witness says that this is himself the Father and the Spirit naturally and the Savior that's the R are being set forth as the the ones who witness this in the plural number so Cyril of Alexandria is seeing this as a Trinitarian reference and of course this also flows into the whole idea of Jesus being in heaven Uh, it would be silly to say that that was something that was laid added later by a redactor or John the evangelist referring to Jesus now after the resurrection is sitting in heaven or he's there. And so we want to be clear, the text does confess Jesus clearly, and the text does confess that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, and he is co-essential and, of course, co-equal. And so that's why you have this emphasis of Cyril saying the we is a trinity.
0: One final question for you, Pastor Wolf Miller. Dallas says, I have a question regarding the recent news that Pope Francis is calling for the decriminalization of homosexuality. What is the Lutheran stance on laws regarding sin? I know Luther expounded on three estates. How do the three estates interact with sin and laws, especially when laws could be created out of a form of democracy where the church and the family have a say on such laws? I'm seeing far too many in church wanting nothing to do with lawmaking, which I find troubling. They tend to agree with Pope Francis what are your thoughts
2: yeah there there is always a difference between what is legal and what is sinful and that's probably because the Ten Commandments govern even our thoughts and desires so as an example it's not illegal to be greedy it is illegal to steal so the laws of men are limited in what they can govern and what they can restrict and we want to be careful when it comes to civil righteousness that we try to extend the law to the heart Or to the mind it does in some degree but again there's always going to be a gap between what's wrong and what's illegal how that works out in different cultures and in different places is a little bit of a tricky question but it's important to recognize that when we're talking about the law we're talking about civic righteousness and we're remembering always that the law is a teacher so the law will teach us what is right and good and what is to be pursued and what is wrong and dangerous and what is to be avoided. So we have this question of what should be legal and illegal. One of the big problems that our own culture faces is it's forgotten or it's trying to forget that marriage is in fact a public act. This messes us up because in a just society, we would confess natural marriage, we would work to protect and serve that gift of natural marriage we would honor husband and wife father and mother and I think we would rightly in a just society use the law to confess that marriage is a man and a woman and that any other arrangement outside of that is not marriage and as long as the church is allowed to speak that kind of wisdom to the culture and to the government, we should speak it as long as we as people are allowed to speak that wisdom. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know that. You just have to understand biology and children and so forth. So as long as people who understand that are allowed to speak it, we should speak it and we should ask for and demand those laws. At the same time, I think there's something where we realize that the more pagan our culture gets, the more pagan our neighbors become. The more pagan our laws will be and that is a fighting against nature and what's true and the church has been in pagan cultures under pagan laws before so while we can speak we should speak and vote that way but know that we're not always free to speak sometimes speaking even natural wisdom is punished so we shouldn't be afraid of losing the culture either the church has survived much worse
0: Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel WolfMiller1, and he's author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed? Brian, thank you very much. Thank you. Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer is pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, and author of the book, Reading Isaiah with Luther. Brian, thanks. It's great to be here, Todd. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Lutheran Church Missouri Synod chaplains deliver word and sacrament ministry to our military personnel and their families. Find out about their service at lcms.org slash armedforces, lcms.org slash armedforces. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Dr. John Bombaro about true tolerance. We'll have Dr. Stephen Parks respond to the assertion that St. Augustine taught that the Catholic Church had the authority to determine the canon of Scripture. And we'll discuss religions on trial with attorney Mark Lanier. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc.
4: Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc.